Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we are going to begin discussing a new letter. That's right, I said letter, so we're looking to the New Testament. And this will be Paul's first letter to Timothy. Now, as a way of introduction, we're not actually going to start in on the text of 1 Timothy, but we're actually going to be looking at Acts chapter 16, the first five verses, and that's going to help set the context for the letter that Paul writes to Timothy. So, We're going to be introduced to Timothy. We're going to find out a little bit about him and the geography and everything. This is going to help set us up to understand the circumstances of the letter that Paul writes. So we're introducing 1 Timothy, and we are using Acts chapter 16, verses 1 to 5, and some other texts uh, to do that, to make that introduction. So we first encounter a young man named Timothy in Acts chapter 16 which is a great place to start uh, with Timothy to get a little bit of background information and present circumstances. So let's look at Acts chapter 16. And what we notice as we get a picture of geography in the first verse here, we see Acts 16.1, Paul also came to Derby and to Lystra. Now let's stop right there and note the geography of where we are. Asia in the New Testament is largely what we would call today the country of Turkey. In fact, many of the Pauline epistles are directed at churches that fall into this geographical region, what we today know as Turkey. Now, these are the first two cities that Paul visits on his second missionary journey, which is chronicled for us in Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 36 through Acts 18.22. Derby and Lystra. The launching point of this journey was at Antioch, which is modern-day Antakya, Turkey, so you can see how they kind of sound similar, which is near the southern border of Turkey, right where it begins to border Syria to the south. These two cities, the first two after Antioch, Derby and Lystra, fit into the biblical region of Galatia, which made up Uh, the middle of modern-day Turkey. Now, you probably recognize that Galatia because we have a letter in the New Testament written to the church at Galatia called the Galatians. Now, to the east, you have Cappadocia, which is another region, and to the west, Asia. Uh, What we're doing here is we're talking about the the biblical names that are given in the New Testament. Of course, all of this is just modern Turkey. We're just dividing Turkey into several regions. So this is the second missionary journey. It takes Paul on a northern track through what is modern-day Turkey. All right, that's the geography. Uh, Let's consider also the genealogy. And we continue in Acts 16.1, and we read this. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. 
All right, so what's Timothy's genealogy? The first thing we read is that he's the son of a Jewish woman. And furthermore, we know who or what she is by this description, who was a believer. She is what we might call a Messianic Jew today. In other words, she is a Jewish person. It names her that way, a Jewish woman who was a believer. So not everybody who is a believer is necessarily a converted Jew. We might call her a Messianic Jew today. Does she uh, practice like Messianic Jews? Well, we don't know that. I personally go back and forth uh, on, on that whole topic today. I believe that a person who is saved, regardless of their genealogical heritage, is a Christian. And so people today... Uh, if a Jewish person is saved today and we ought to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and we, we ought to be concerned about the evangelization of all peoples, including Jewish people, because they do not recognize Jesus as their Messiah, if they do and they come to saving faith, they are not Jews primarily any longer. They are Christians. And I think that was probably true in the New Testament as well. Uh, she has this cultural heritage. Paul himself is going to have that. I mean, he says that he's a Pharisee of Pharisees, and he chronicles that. I mean, he's not just a Gentile. Uh, and we understand that the gospel is to the Jews first and also to the Greeks. So it goes to them first, which is why Paul has this missionary pattern and all of these things. But the fact is, is that when somebody comes to Christ, whether they're a Jew or otherwise, they become a Christian. That's just a little one of my side beefs there, but I, I struggle with those who identify as Messianic Jews because uh, my exposure to Messianic Jews is that they're more primarily concerned with their identity as Jews uh, than their identity in Christ. Now, I know some people are probably going to argue against that and say, well, that's not true. Uh, I'm just talking anecdotally because uh, that's how they portray themselves. They run a synagogue. They meet on Saturday and not Sunday. The church historically has always met on Sunday as an ongoing and continual remembrance of the resurrection, right? We observe the resurrection of the dead. We observe the resurrection of Jesus Christ every Sunday when we meet because Sunday is the first day of the week. It is not historically the Sabbath. No one contests that. The Sabbath is a Saturday. Uh, but the point is, is why we meet on the first day of the week is because Jesus was resurrected on the first day of the week. So they do away with all of the customs of the church and identify primarily as Jews. And then they say, well, we are Jews, but we recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. And I think that the, the prioritization there is a little back backwards. Okay. Uh, that, that was free. Uh, we don't have any of that here in the text. All we know is that his mother was Jewish. And that is obviously contrasting that with his father, who is a Greek. So we are led to examine, at least on its on its face, exactly what type of Greek she was or he was and what type of Jewish person she was, uh, that he was willing to marry a Jewish person and that she was willing to marry a Greek. Maybe she didn't have much say in the matter. We don't really know. It's only speculation. What we do know is that her cultural heritage is that of being a Jew, but she is also a believer. Okay. Uh, we know a little bit more from this. If we were to look at second Timothy chapter one, verse five, 
uh, where Paul says to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So in 2 Timothy 1, we are actually given her name. And now instead of uh, just being a Jewish woman, the son of a Jewish woman, we know that her name was Eunice. Now, why he doesn't give that now, don't know. Uh, but that's that's what we know. He's a son of a Jewish woman. But we also are told by way of Timothy's genealogy that his father was Greek. There's a little bit of a cultural background. Under the social structure of that day, it's quite likely that Timothy's father forbade him to become a Jewish proselyte. Uh, also, the term Greek may not mean Greece specifically, but rather anyone who is not Jewish. So that was just a term that was used at that time to denote somebody who is not a Jew, right? You think about what Paul said in Romans, uh, I am not ashamed of the gospel as the power of God and salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Okay. Uh, the, the Greek is not just talking about only people who are from Greece, but anybody who is not a Jew. And we understand that uh, as well. So that's his genealogy. What is the general reception of Timothy? How do people think of Timothy? Well, we continue on in Acts 16 and we get a picture of that. It says he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. All right. So now we're introduced to a couple of new cities. First, we have Derby and Lystra, and this is where Timothy is from. And he's well spoken of by his brothers at Lystra and Iconium. These are the two cities that are west of Derby, if indeed that is where Paul picked up Timothy. And his reputation was solid. What we discover is that his reputation was solid in the neighboring cities. And it should be noted that it was solid among the brothers, that is to say, fellow Christians. It reminds me of something that we read in the Proverbs, Proverbs 22.1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and favor is better than silver or gold. Some of the qualifications that Paul first saw in Timothy, he would later tell Timothy to look for in others for the office of the overseer, the episkopos, right? Uh, which is the pastor teacher. Uh, notice 1 Timothy 3 verse 2, that he is above reproach, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, to name a few from that list. This would have played into his reputation and contributed to his being well-spoken of. Now, it's interesting that here he is being well-spoken of by the brothers, uh, and that is also interesting that the brothers would speak well of him. His mother was a believer, Brothers would probably not speak well of him if he was not a Christian. So even though we mentioned in his genealogy that his father being of uh, Greco origin, just what means is he, that means that he's just not a, a Jewish person. He's not Jewish of, of descent there, that he may likely have forbade Timothy from becoming a proselyte. But the fact of the matter is, is it seems that he was because he is well spoken of by his brothers and outside of his city. So his reputation goes forward. And I say that because we live in a day and age where information is ubiquitous. We live in a technological age where things travel instantly. And really, 
geographical boundaries, you know, thinking about neighboring cities have very little to do with things when people have access to the internet and information travels at the speed practically of light. So you have to be very careful about how you live and you can't really run far uh, away from problems if you stir up controversy in, in, in one area. I'm reminded of that recently, uh, personally in my own life, where uh, it came to my knowledge and attention of somebody uh, that I needed to, to look into and discovered that uh, there were some untoward things that occurred all the way across the country. And in, in talking with some leaders of churches and the other side of the country, I discovered that uh, there were some not so good things and all of a sudden uh, discovered that this reputation is not good. The general reception is, is not above reproach. And, and all of a sudden, this is all the way across the country. I mean, we're talking almost 3,000 miles away and now we have the ability to have that kind of information, and especially among brothers. I'm talking to fellow pastors and discovering uh, that maybe things aren't what they at first appeared to be. So we have to be very careful. But in this circumstance, we know that the general reception is that everyone thought well of him, even in neighboring cities. And that says a lot. Again, back to that principle that we find in Proverbs 22, verse 1, a good name is to be chosen rather than riches. Favor is better than silver or gold. All right, that's going to lead us then to a fourth aspect of introducing Timothy. We've looked at the geography, the genealogy, the general reception, and now we need to consider this Gentile problem. Gentile problem, verses 3 to 5 of Acts chapter 16. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. He saw qualifications of this young man and knew that the task of discipleship and pattern, uh, which would later be passed along to him in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, uh, knew that this was coming, right? What do we read there in 2 Timothy 2, 2? And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses— and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so what he does is he takes Timothy under his wing to train him up so that Timothy can go and do the same thing. We should also note that Paul previously had John Mark with him, but did not want him any longer. We go back and see Acts chapter 15, 37 to 40 for that. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. All right, so that's Acts 15, 37 to 40. So he wanted Timothy, he takes Timothy, 
And we note what he did. He took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So we know he has Jewish heritage through his mother. We know that he has Greek heritage, that is Gentile heritage, through his father. And this becomes a cultural stumbling block. If both of his parents had been Jews, then he probably would have been circumcised according to Jewish law. But because his father is a Gentile, there is no such practice. Uh, And we know that the Greeks were considered vile in the sight of the Jews. So they looked very poorly upon this practice. But this is interesting, right? We talk about the Gentile problem. We know that the gospel is first to the Jews and also to the Greeks. It's to everybody. But there comes this stumbling block that's already been dealt with at the Jerusalem council, which is mentioned here. That takes place in the preceding chapter in Acts chapter 15. And they're going to deal with this idea of circumcision. Can, should we require that? And of course the answer is no, you don't require it. You do not require somebody to become uh, Jewish uh, according to the law and take that along with the gospel. Circumcision is not required. It may be required by Jewish law and practice and custom, but it is not part of the gospel. So why should he get circumcised? So that it wouldn't be a stumbling block. And that's what we have to understand. Uh, They don't want it to be a stumbling block. Now, the Gentiles aren't going to care one way or another whether someone is circumcised, but the Jews do. Now, we don't become that uh, because it is necessary for salvation, but we don't want to become an unnecessary stumbling block. We see Paul's pattern of ministry. Romans 1.16, we've already alluded to this. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Everywhere that Paul would go, he would go into the synagogues first until they would have him no more. It seems that this was the pattern that was laid out by Jesus to his disciples. Matthew 10, verse 6, go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, he says to them. So this is tricky, but not so much if you really think about it. Paul disdained the idea uh, that Jewish legalism was in any way necessary for salvation. So he's not saying it's necessary. In fact, his entire letter to the Galatians is against the Judaizers. And he says that the circumcision doesn't matter on a spiritual level, Galatians 6.15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. So the question is, why circumcise Timothy? Because with so much Jewish ministry in front of them and with his background, Paul did not want the matter of circumcision to become a stumbling block that would hinder them from coming to faith. That is different than saying that circumcision is required in order to be saved. He's never saying that. That is, rather, removing obstacles in the way of belief. Note this attitude recorded in 1 Corinthians 9.20. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews, that those under the law, or to those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Paul made a clear distinction between not wanting to be a stumbling block and something being a matter of legalism, man's own contribution to his salvation. Notice 
that he circumcised Timothy after the Jerusalem council, which is recorded for us in Acts 15. There in Acts 15 verses 1 to 2, we read, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's at the heart of Judaism, right? Or the Judaizers, I should say. Verse 2 of Acts 15, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Then the heresy is again reiterated when they make it to Jerusalem. Acts 15, 5, but some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Then we find the official response of the council uttered by Peter in Acts 15, 11, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. We need to know this because after Paul circumcises Timothy, They travel through the cities and delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. That's what we were reading back in Acts 16 here. Verse 5, so that the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. So that's very, very important, right? The the order in which all of this happens is very important. The circumcision takes place after the Jerusalem council. Timothy is with Paul as he preaches this verdict to the congregations that are made up of both Jewish believers and Greek believers. So that is the Gentile uh, problem, if you will, and that's important to understand. It really sets a context for really the entire New Testament ministry, especially the the Pauline ministry. When we look at Pauline epistles, uh, we have to understand that this is a very big part of that. And we have to have a proper understanding of Paul's mindset. Why would he choose to circumcise somebody even after so vehemently arguing against the necessity of it? Well, because it's not necessary, but it is expedient. And that's that's what we find here. Uh, we have a couple more points that we need to address by way of introduction, but we're going to have to save that for the next episode. So we'll come back in our next episode and finish out introducing First Timothy. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.